by you. So after last week, when all we wanted to do was talk about ice melting, and I know we talked about how it was fun to take a break from the chapters, it's interesting to get back into a chapter with Cersei. This was a good pairing of chapters, though, for two characters that spend so much of the chapter living inside of their own heads. Inside their own heads and manipulating. So Cersei is very much trying to manipulate the people around her, while while Reek slash Theon is very much being manipulated himself. And so it's interesting to... I don't want to put Cersei anyway in the category of Ramsay Bolton, but to see kind of both sides of of that a little bit and to see both of them so much in their heads. I We talk about a lot how it's difficult to translate these inner monologues onto the screen. And so to be able to go through this and to actually see what Reek is feeling and, and to see how Cersei is continuing to, as we've talked about through this entire read through, deteriorate and kind of defeat herself. It's good. And this may be news to some of you who don't use social media, but we have received literally zero negative feedback in regards to our episode about the block of ice. So thank you for your vote of confidence. (laughs) Surprise. We had a good time. And we're glad that you did. And as we mentioned on our last episode, we're in full swing planning for Con of Thrones. And as you may have seen on social media over the last couple of days, we've extended the call for programming. So if you haven't had a chance yet to submit what you want to talk about at Con of Thrones. The opportunity has been extended through April April 3rd. April 3rd. And I just want to say that the, uh, the, the level of detail of the submissions that you guys have been sending completely has exceeded all of my expectations. I knew that it would be awesome because there's so much to pull from from these stories. We're not even halfway through this combined reading order. And yet there's, you know, we could just take these 45 chapters that we've read so far and, and we could we could do everything off of that a panel on each included. one <laughs> so it's good yeah. to see that i just want to say that some involve live animals some involve secret literature there's some really cool stuff that's coming and if you are coming to the con or if you're thinking about coming to the convention we've extended to the third because so much cool stuff is coming in so if you want to present or if you've got an idea that you think should be presented just go to conofthrones.com slash programming and let us know because there's a lot of people that work at this, but the more interaction we get from everyone else, the more opinions that are coming in, the con just gets bigger and better. And so please pour those in, even if you're not coming. Well, and it's more fun for people to take ownership and to be able to participate. So definitely echoing what you say, you should, uh, if you've even had a single thought of submitting, now's the time. These two chapters, like we said, Cersei and Reek, both are inside of their own heads. I want to know what you thought about the Cersei chapter, because obviously, you know, Throughout, Cersei is getting so much advice about the actions that are happening in the East, whether it's related to the Summer Islanders or whether it's specifically related, related to what the Harpies are doing in Marine or just what anyone is doing out East. Not to mention the strife that's going on with the pairings and Dorne and how Arianne is connected to it. And Kyber just wants to tell her, just like, mm-hmm. hey, let's pay attention to this a little bit. Because so far, what it looks like you're spending most of the chapter preparing for is a dinner where you're asking someone to kill Bronn, who you just don't like i don't think you really think he's housing Tyrion. well that's exactly like the one thing she seems to pick up on in that conversation which happens kind of midway through this chapter is these puppet shows that are happening throughout the wherever they are and king's landing just out in the city out in the just around and that's what cersei seems to be picking up on which there may be a little bit of something there but she just throughout this whole chapter is so self-motivated and it's really interesting 
to see her actions versus how she thinks of herself. Um, she continues to compare herself to Tywin without really understanding what her father was. And yet the only real decision she made in the chapter was what she was going to do with the puppeteers and the people watching the show. Exactly. Exactly. And and to like hint at Bronn being killed and to block Tommen from doing any sort of kingly duties. Um, I just feel like every single thing that she does, every thought that she has, every action that she takes is only about punishing or rewarding people based on her own desire and judgment. Mm. Everything is personal. And I think that everybody can kind of relate to that a little bit, you know, like, <laughs> like I understand her, her view of the world as being deeply personal, but no decision or move that she makes is done without it being a, well, this hurts me, so I'm going to react this way. And she gives her reasons for it. She gives us this decorated past. I'm just going to read this snippet of the men that have wronged her in King's Landing since she's been married to Robert. She had suffered Robert's drunken groping, Jamie's jealousy, Renly's mockery, Varys with his titters, Stannis endlessly grinding his teeth, lol. She had contended with John Aaron, Ned Stark, and her vile, treacherous, murderous dwarf brother, all the while promising herself that one day would be her turn. If Marjorie Tyrell thinks to cheat me of my hour in the sun, she had bloody well think again. <laughs> well, and that's like, that's it right there. I feel like is the whole chapter. She feels like she has earned this position that she's in. And in some way she has. I mean, she has. She Robert has. Baratheon, like, I would not want to be married to that guy. You know, and I think that she has endured quite a bit. And I think that's the irony in all of this. That is, she finally made it to where she wants to go. And everything that's going wrong is really her self-destruction. It's strange because that at, at the level she's batting at, her politics are so ham-fisted. You know, they, they lack the, the soft touch that someone like Varys would have been able to counsel Robert through with or someone like Littlefinger would have been able to. She's got Kyburn, who's doing arguably, arguably just as good of a job. His only real cost being that he asks for very questionable things in exchange for his services. Messed up. Messed up. Also, what was it? What was it? He was asking for two girls from the puppeteer show. Yes. To, so to do to whatever his experiments on or whatever it is. Shackled in his dungeon. And Cersei even thinks about hearing the last person. And she's just like, hmm, that was kind of annoying. But yeah, sure, you can have whatever you want. And so to me, we're talking about all of I think it's a very much like a she's trying to go on this feminist rant about all the men who have wronged her on her way to the top. But then she then turns around and and it's kind of like, well, Kyber wants to do whatever he wants to do with this girl. So. Right. But wouldn't that be something that a strong kingly you know man would do? He would do that. And you consider that like the hard fisted approach to to dealing out his justice. But with Cersei, it, it, George is putting us in a twist here because you're right. She's talking about how she's not being taken seriously. The chapter starts out with Tom and pouting and she's very much in the mother position. So we're kind of given that first perspective and then we're led through times where she's sitting in front of the throne on a golden chair with with crimson pillows, you know, talking to bravosi bankers trying to get their money back. Like she's doing important stuff while we still feel this happening. And then on top of that, we have her getting supplanted as a mother and as a queen from Marjorie directly to Tom. And it's just kind of a, it's just a swirl. George has, has put so many different emotions weighing on basically the moment that sprouted after she met with Maggie the Frog. 
Well, and she is balancing a lot. I mean, she does have Marjorie as much as I think Marjorie is. Well, I mean, you could argue that she's trying to do good, but I do think that a lot of what she suggests in this chapter are things that are good for Tommen. And you look at all of these uh, Kyburn and, and kind of all these people who are telling her th- different things. And I think that she does have a lot in her ear. I mean, that's what comes with the position. That's kind of just the name of the game for her. Um, and so, you know, I think it's this constant back and forth of like, I get it, but also I don't get it in even the slightest kind of thing. Um, and you mentioned Tommen, and I think it's, first of all, <laughs> Tommen in this chapter yes. is my favorite of all time. And before we even get to our owns, all of my owns go to him. But at the beginning of this chapter, she kind of gets upset at Tommen for defying her a little bit and for not really doing what she wants him to do. But I seem to recall that previously she kind of came down on Tommen because she he just kind of did whatever she says. And she um, reminisces on Joffrey, who would have argued with her, who would have fought back a little bit. And she worries about Tommen not having enough strength to be a king. Yet here we are, and he's kind of pushing his weight around as whatever that means for someone like Tommen. But she knows that most of these words are coming from Marjorie. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a good, that's a fair point. I think a lot of it also has to do with just the, what we're, what we're talking about that it's, a, it's kind of another person standing in her way. She tells him that one day, you know, when he comes of age, she had to wait all of these years to get there. So will Tommen. And that was one of her lessons. That and he can't have a kitten. So. Yeah, that was a great compromise, by the way. She, the thing with Loris Tyrell, the, the note that I took of which now we're going to be putting on Patreon, by the way. And this was, I don't know if you took notes differently, but it definitely took me a lot longer to read these chapters. And there was a lot less spelling errors from speed and the note app autocorrecting weird words and uh, a lot less cursing. So I don't know if you're welcome, but that's the truth. <laughs> I don't know how yours went. Mine mine are always very long. I did a lot of uh, all caps around all the, the kitten stuff around here. But Marjorie in the chapter is really good. And I, I know that Marjorie has other motives. And I know that Marjorie wants to be the queen and nothing's going to stop her from doing that. But she's playing the game so well and she gets to Cersei right where it hurts. She murders Cersei in this mm-hmm. chapter. She does in every in every way. And, and most specifically, um, we can talk about in detail the whole jousting incident or whatever and how Tommen really, really wants to learn to ride and to fight and, and to have Loris teach him. And Cersei kind of storms out into the yard and is annoyed. And she does strum. She says <laughs> she's like, there's no there's no way that Tommen's going to practice with with Loris like this isn't happening. Blah, blah, blah. Can you imagine Cersei? Sorry. Can you imagine her seeing herself from the outside looking in? You know, like she used to be the, the Marjorie out in the out in the yard. Yeah. having a good time not on the eaves going out there to squash everyone's fun i you feel know? like she i feel like if she could really see herself she would definitely hate herself i mean i think that her dislike for for the flower overcompensate or supersedes all of it in the thought of loris being there so close to tommen because she knows that loris is someone that tommen would look up to easily he's very gifted probably the most gifted person with the sword there and really, the argument is who would be a better teacher? But Cersei's not having it. She's like, oh, the loophole that you pointed out to me, Loras, you're right. We don't have a new master at arms. I'll just get a Dornish guy to do it. I can't help but think that Loras is probably so much like Jamie would have been. This is Loras in response to Tommen's wonderful joust of which when when the wooden foe swung around after cracking his 
Lance, which might have been pre-cracked, I'm not sure, didn't strike him in the back. And if you've ever seen a knight's tale, you know what we're talking about. As loud as a crack of thunder, he says, a rose of jade and gold clasped Sir Loris's white cloak at the shoulder, and the wind was rifling or riffling artfully through his brown locks. You rode a splendid course, but once is not enough, you must do it again. Upon the morrow, you must ride every day until every blow lands true and straight, and your lance is as much a part of you as your arm. And mom, who hears this advice, is like, mm-mm. That's bad advice. <laughs> exactly in that. That's exactly the tone that she uses, <laughs> um, which is funny. Well, and so then uh, she, I can't remember exactly the chain of events, but she talks about how Tommen, he he, he can't learn from Loras, but he'll be as great as, as his father was at jousting and he'll be just as strong and blah, blah, blah. And Marjorie goes like, mm-hmm, yeah, well, what tournaments did he win? <laughs> I never knew Lord King Robert was so accomplished at the joust. Pray tell us, Your Grace. <laughs> yeah. What tournaments did he win? So Marjorie just like so good, just gets her exactly where. And Cersei is like, well, you know, thinking in her head that it had been Jamie that she'd been thinking of when she spoke. Um, and so I just, I think that Marjorie very obviously has the upper hand here and and we kind of start to see why Cersei makes the decisions that she eventually does as the story progresses. What did you think about her response to that though? After she was mentally going through, oh, I was thinking about Jamie and she just she says, Oh yeah, by the way, Robert won my tournament on the Trident. That's <laughs> where he unseated Rhaegar Targaryen, and then he crowned me his queen of love and beauty. Yeah, I mean so... like <laughs> everything that Marjorie could have ever want also in that moment, I feel like. So I mean I think she, that was a that was a great response, right? I feel like in the moment she caught herself decently well. Like nobody can argue that Robert wasn't a great what would be the correct term? Swordsman is not the right term. Jouster. But, uh, jouster, whatever it is, whatever the right terminology is. I mean, obviously what he did and what he accomplished. I mean, hello, Robert's Rebellion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anybody here knows what that is or if we need to go into detail Or if they've read but... about it a million times <laughs> yeah. in this chapter. He had strong feelings for Robert in some way. He has so much space in her thoughts in this chapter as does Rhaegar and I feel like in this chapter we get revealed kind of the true motivation behind her connection mm-hmm. with Rhaegar the 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 lustful fawning for him over the years as she grew up and then eventually coming so close and then not getting what she wants and then blaming it on Robert what do you think about that yeah that's to me and I'm curious to hear what you think too is that she has this rosy colored view of kind of what her life would have been like if she would have been able to be with Rhaegar and kind of how things would have been different and Blah, blah, blah. But I can't help but think that things would probably be pretty much the same because, you know, for one, Jamie's still around. So I don't I I don't see how that piece may have been different with Rhaegar. And she talks a lot about how Robert was also dreamy, too. And, you know, and and he was also a catch as well. And I understand that she never she says here that she never forgave Robert for for killing Rhaegar. But I, I, I still can't help but think that everything that happened and every reason for where she is today would have been exactly the same no matter who she ended up with. I don't know if you disagree with that. I think the current Cersei would have become the same person, but I don't know which, I don't know how much of the current Cersei is to blame for living all of those years of unhappiness 
with Robert because we can make jokes about how she's acting now, but she definitely was dealt a really shitty hand early on. Absolutely. Being Tywin Lannister's daughter in the first place. I mean, I'd like to think that it'd be different, but what we're seeing Cersei do in this chapter and through most of her chapters in A Feast for Crows is um she's she's kind of falling prey to her upbringing where a lot of her stature was handed to her because of her place. Whereas someone like Tyrion, and, and this chapter reminds me so much of uh, Tyrion being the Hand of the King in A Clash of Kings, because there's also moments where he has this casual comfort and confidence as he's going from scene to scene, from person to person, as they individually carry out his orders and his demands, while his and nature are more to do with the goodness of the kingdom and less to do with personal stuff. Tyrion also has his share of personal stuff. So I compare them and I, I, I see the big difference is that uh, Cersei pays attention to virtually all of the personal stuff, only really looking aside when it comes to puppets and they're portraying lions being taken down by a single dragon, lions that have overrode the kingdom, all important metaphorical imagery that George makes sure to just hammer into us through both of these chapters, really. I mean, I think that that's a great comparison and I hadn't thought about it. Who is more in their head and who is more haunted by their past than Tyrion as well? You know, and I think that both of them, especially when it comes to their father and comparing themselves to their father and their childhood, um, I think that's a great point that Tyrion, while some of his motivation is selfish, I think that uh, he has this bigger worldview and that's why he is ultimately going to be a bit more successful than Cersei is, right? Because he's able to kind of, he draws strength from what he's been through in a way that then is, fingers crossed, going to better the world around him. Whereas Cersei only draws like hatred and spite from her past and then kind of spews that onto the people around her. She's just, she's just not as, as calculated. And I don't know, that's an interesting, I, I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's a good, that's a good comparison and a good benchmark for how Cersei could be if she, if things X, Y, Z had gone differently. Well, we know what happens to her personally, but we haven't seen all the falling action of how her actions in this book affect King's Landing as a whole. But we can guess that it's not going to be good. It can't be good. I mean, like <laughs> it can't be good at all. <laughs> She's ignoring everything. And if, it, if, it, if it's not an immediate threat, if it's not Stannis or if it's not the Greyjoys, then it's going to be the White Walkers or it's going to be Daenerys. Right, but exactly. Pro- I mean, probably Daenerys. At the first. end of the day, <laughs> the cop out answer, not that that was a cop out answer, but the cop out <laughs> answer is always going to be like, well, always. the White Walkers are coming, so everyone can just stop. Well, what do you think George's lesson is here, though? That she, the most that I can just top level is vanity. Tyrion has much less vanity than Cersei because he was born a dwarf and he never really had anything to be vain about other than his knowledge, which being vain about his knowledge, I think, has gotten him in trouble as well as Cersei's vanity, but I think just by nature, less so. And while she's always had her beauty in her station, and she's you know, in this chapter constantly talking about her beauty and her station being a reason that she would be married to some men in -hmm. getting her to this point. So now she has the power. Tyrion was always saying, oh, you mean Cersei making those decisions. Back in season one in uh, Rewatch the Throne, that's one of Tyrion's last lines. And I'm thinking of how paranoid he was and how she had a lot to do with what was happening. But she really has the keys right now. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like I said at the very beginning, it's the tragedy of Cersei's story is that she's her own undoing. Because I think that she's been given every opportunity and she's been given every 
every ounce of intel that she could ever need and every ounce of training that she could ever need. I mean, Tywin was her father. And while she is a woman and while that kind of changes how you learn, like what you get to learn and see and participate in. And I know and I and I I don't like dismissing the fact that she as a woman has struggled to get to where she is. But I, I just think that she's so much she doesn't play to any of the strengths that she could have been equipped with, you know, and I think that she just so much focuses on her own personal vendettas against Tyrion and against Loras. against Loras and the Tyrells and and against anybody Mace. who has ever crossed her path in any sort of way. Morella, her friend as a little girl who was yeah. drowned for breaking her secret. <laughs> yes. And even like her washerwoman who she wants to blame on just she's been drinking so much. She's gaining a lot of weight and she blames her washerwoman for ruining her clothes. She just she can't take responsibility for anything. Think, think about the, the compromise there, listeners, if you're not reading the compromise instead of Instead of um, making or like gruesomely punishing the people who ruined her clothes, she charged these two different women their um, their value, which they were done up with mere slaves. She charged their value to their pay. And can you imagine how many months they're going to have to work to have to pay that off? I know. It's like you feel, you feel so awful for anybody who has to kind of come into contact with her. So who's worse, Ramsay or Cersei? Because she also sort of orders people dead. I mean, Cersei, I, I, Ramsay, I think, murdered 63 men in his chapter. But... Ramsay is genuinely psychotic. I mean, I don't like I, I don't think that as much as we dislike Cersei or as much as that we like harp on her for everything that she's doing wrong. I don't think that there's in any way. That we can ever say she's as bad as Ramsay Bolton. I mean, look at look at how Theon Reek is in this chapter, and and I think that Cersei's making mistakes. I think that like politically, she has opportunity to kind of really do some good or make some progress in any sort of way, but she just doesn't. And I think that I don't think that we can in any way say that that's near. Ramsey. Do you think that she really has a problem with Loras being gay, morally being close to Tommen, or do you think that's just part of her vendetta? I don't. I don't think it helps. I mean, like obviously, it doesn't help. This is the snippet from the book. Yes, I thought as much. Cersei had seen how tight the bonds grew between squires and the knights they served. She did not want Tommen. This was. She said, "Yes, I thought as much." In response to. Uh, Loris indeed being Renly Squire. She did not want Tom and growing close to Loris Tyrell. The Knight of Flowers was no sort of man for any boy to emulate. I have been remiss with a realm to rule a war to fight and a father to mourn. Somehow I overlooked the crucial matter of naming a new master at arms. I shall rectify that heir at once. Um, before we talk about Loris more, you know when she's talking about wanting to have a Dornishman to be the new swords or the new guy, whatever. All I could think about was Dark Stars available. LOL Dark Star. <laughs> yeah. I literally wrote LOL Dark Star in my notes. He would he the flourish going into his training sessions would put Serial Pharrell's monologues <laughs> to shame. It would be amazing. Gerald needs a new job, so I am Dark Star, not to be confused <laughs> with the sword of the morning of light. I am dark. Would that be better for Tom and or worse? I think it would be about the same. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. But I mean, I think that Cersei kind of is finding a reason to nitpick and hate Loris. I mean, I understand why she doesn't want Tom and close to any of the Tyrells. I understand that like 
it's not good for her personally to have the two of them kind of whispering in Tommen's ear all these, at the end of the day, like good ideas for a king. Um, but instead of having any real reason, because she doesn't have any real reason, she has to come up with... Uh, only a master at arms can train Tommen, of course. Yeah. There's no way we can make loopholes. It's not yeah. like you're married to, or his sister's married to my son, or you're the you're in the king's guard for the king or anything. Right, like it's whatever. So. Can't break the law here, okay? No favors for friends. <laughs> yeah. I would if I could, but they keep you know? a very straight court here at King's Landing. <laughs> yeah. And it's so sad what she later has him to do. This whole thing with Marjorie and Loris, her obsession mostly with Marjorie, and we've talked about it before on other Cersei chapters in this read through, how the show doesn't adapt the true malevolence of what's going on at King's Landing. And I wouldn't say that trying to get Osney Kettleback to sleep with with Marjorie is, you know, horribly malevolent thing. I mean, obviously it's it's strategic and, you know, it's stupid. But that's her that's her big plan is to get Osney Kettleback to seduce the queen so she can frame the queen for sleeping with Osney. I don't know if it's because she's cheating on the king or if she's just trying to frame her for sleeping with Osney Kettleback. I don't even <laughs> know what to say. I mean, that like Cersei, it's like all the things that Cersei has done wrong in her life is something that she's trying to to frame Marjorie for. I know. But it's the perfect thing for her to later get retribution for from the High Sparrow. And this chapter, even more heavily than before, is mentioning the sparrows. The, the Bravosi mentioned the, the sparrows. No, no, the Stoke words mentioned the sparrows when she's me- meeting with Felice. There's lots of sparrow mentions. Sparrows in the capital. And she's like, oh, the new Hype Septum will have to do something about those sparrows. Yes, of course. Well, and this whole time that she's worrying more... and. You know, granted, I guess she needs to worry about issues close to home, but Kyburn's trying to fill her in on stuff that's happening. And he's telling her about Astropor and Maureen. And, and Cersei literally says, let the slaves revolt. Why should I care? Yeah. And we, we don't even have slaves here. Next. Exactly. She's talking about he's talking about Dorne and just all of these things that are happening that we understand they're happening. We hear about the Golden Company briefly and we also hear a little bit about uh davos being killed and and just kind of sometimes i feel like these are george r R. martin just kind of like getting us back up to speed with what we should be thinking of but there's a lot happening in the world and i think that cersei not that much in her world though well right i mean that's the problem you know (laughs) yeah that's exactly the problem and again as as we mentioned earlier she kind of out of everything that she's hearing about what's going on and what should be she should be focusing her attention onto and kind of picking up on she's Mm -hmm. most worried about this puppet show that's happening this is a snippet from the book he smiled sympathetically as you wish this is kyburn there's talk that and i'm quoting so much from the book this episode because our notes are different okay you can think patreon there's talk <laughs> that the archon of tyrosh has offered terms to lease to end their present trade war it had been rumored that mir was about to enter the war on the tyroshi side but without the golden company the mirrors did not believe they dot 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 because he's cut off she says what the mirrors believe does not concern me the free cities were always fighting one another their endless betrayals and alliances mean little and less to westeros do you have any news of more import is that paragraph kind of allegorical for everything happening in the East and people like reading four and five are like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. me, me reading for the first time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is true. It's like, it, and that's what continues to lead me to believe like 
then we should be paying attention to this. You know, you should definitely be. If Cersei's dismissing it, then I can't (laughs) dismiss it. I need to then go back and kind of refocus my efforts on everything. I wonder because you know how we're reading from Cersei's point of view, and so we're getting kind of her perspective on everything, and we're seeing everything from her eyes. It would be so interesting to have like a Tommen point of view. You know, do you ever think about like other point of views that we could be getting that we're not? I want the Tama chapter right after he gets all of these kittens. When he's in bed with all those kittens. (laughs) Yeah. He's just like paragraphs and paragraphs of how happy he is. And the different names Um, other mm -hmm. than Mr. Bounce. And all the cute stuff that they do. You know, we feel so strongly. Like I can't help but wonder how we would feel if we were, if she was not a point of view character. And if we just kind of had to watch her decisions, I think we would understand them even less you know i think that we would be less annoyed at her because we wouldn't understand just how smart she is Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have like as high of an expectation for what she could she could do right because she's very capable and very smart look what she's doing look at the scale that she's batting at and she's not even doing a very good job she's just thinking about maggie the frog yep blame it all on maggie the frog can we talk about Jamie or Jamie, not Jamin, Jamie and Tommen, when they burst in while she's taking a bath, how this scene from the chapter just kind of feels like it's from a comedy. Yeah, and it, it it's just, they just, they run in. They're like, oh, we've got to tell you something. And Tommen's like, okay, I want a joust and I want a kitten too. And I don't want any more beats because I'm the king. And and Jamie kind of is laughing during the laughing whole conversation, the whole time. which makes Cersei even more upset. She's like, we'll, we'll let you, uh, Osmond Kettleblack, well, he's a way better jouster. And he's like, Osmond? Yeah, I don't know about that yeah i loved 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 this whole scene as i like i said tommen talking about wanting to outlaw beats i mean let the kids sit on the iron throne you know like just let them take a stab at it i thought it was also ironic that cersei served beats later that night to her stoke yeah. friends <laughs> yeah. that were visiting yeah the conversation that cersei and jamie then have kind of after tommen leaves the room to go get on his bed of kittens um we And we don't get this as much in the TV show. And I know that that's a lot of what like, people get annoyed with that, me included, is that this rift between Jamie and Cersei is continuing to grow. And we're just seeing how much they disagree and how they like, you know, like Cersei just kind of is upset that Jamie, it says, she says she was tired of Jamie balking at her. No one ever did that to her Lord father. And she feels like Jamie doesn't respect her and blah, blah, blah. And, then, and while Jamie can see that like Cersei, it's clearly naked. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, she stands up. <laughs> pool. Yes, that. Pining for what you've lost, brother. That. <laughs> but then also that, you know, she, he even he sees that she's focusing on the wrong enemies and that she's kind of fixated on people who aren't as dangerous as she thinks they are. And, and she's still trying to use those old tricks to change his mind. Yeah, well... Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But she still has really sweet thoughts about him. She thinks about Greenstone and she thinks about when Joffrey was father. I know it's incest, but it's sweet to her. Oh, yes. When what is it that she and Robert got in a big fight and about something? Well, Robert was sleeping with his cousin. Oh, he that's was right. Like, that's right. I'll that's comfort right. you. I'll comfort you. And then he he did comfort her. And Jamie was sent on patrol by Cersei to go see it. And then he came back and reported it. And he's like, should I kill him? Mm-hmm. And Cersei's like, no, let's just have sex instead. So they did. And then she's like something about how she likes to think that that's the night that Joffrey was conceived. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is a sweet moment for Cersei like in, in that moment for her. And then she it's talks like, about drowning her friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's, it's just, I mean, all of these Lannister kids kind of are pretty messed up. Um, 
as you mentioned, Tyrion, I can't help but be thinking about him as well uh, through this. But her commentary is also kind of funny, um, which we kind of see with this dinner that happens where she's kind of making fun of everybody in, in her head and and thinking about how much she hates everyone and how much specifically um, Felice looks like a fish as, as they're kind of sitting down to dinner. And then she's like, oh, hello, like my sweet Felice, like so happy to see you. Blah, blah, Drink blah. some more of my expensive <laughs> yeah, wine. Like, We're not in debt. Welcome. I'm like, oh, man, been there, done that. Like, <laughs> we, By we've the all been way, way, you know, Bron, <laughs> I was wondering if you could kill him for me. <laughs> yeah. A mortal, a mortal mishap. Mortal? Yes. Well, you know, all the way. Yeah, so. And I think that it's important to also mention that Cersei gives a shout out to the faceless men. I could have hired a faceless man to kill Bronn for half of what I've spent on Hippocrats, which was what she was feeding the Stokeworths, she reflected when they were gone at last. Interesting. What if she's killed by a faceless assassin? That's all I can get mm. out of that. Why else would she mention it here? Arya? That's a really weird thought. Maybe it's Arya because she's on her list. That's like a really bad theory, you know? Like one of those crackpot theories? <laughs> it's a lazy theory. She's on Arya's <laughs> list. She mentioned an assassin. She's going to get killed by Arya. <laughs> hey, be careful what you wish for. You heard it here. You heard it here first, folks. But in this Reek chapter, something that was actually adapted to the TV series from A Feast for Crows and A Dance of Dragons. Yes, this Reek chapter. This Reek chapter is really a doozy. And... I know that we said that with the last week chapter, and I think it's difficult to kind of read through any of this without feeling kind of sick inside. But this chapter, I think, is especially interesting because we get so much of Reek and we also get a lot of Theon. And so to be able to kind of compare the two of them Warm as... our way back to it. Ramsey sends Reek off to talk with the last Ironborn holdouts, which is such... It's such a cruel thing for... Reek to have to pretend to be Theon. Theon, who is now Reek, pretending to be Theon while he's back with... And I know that he didn't necessarily have personal relationships with all these men that he goes to see, but they're kind of... They're his people, you know? They're his family. And we get a lot of as he's riding up to uh, treat with them and as he's uh, having those conversations and he's coming back, he's slipping in and out of and having to constantly remind himself, as I am having to constantly remind myself... <laughs> Remember, that, it rhymes with snake. Yeah. That he's reek now. And um, I just... I, I found it really interesting that Ramsey would send him on a mission that would... That would and kind of has... Looses his grip on him a little bit. You know? Like, didn't you kind of get that feeling that he... He remembers who he was so much in this chapter. Definitely. And especially after they return... Um, with the men and he he's given that thought where he's like of course they survived they're ironborn he has a little bit of pride like a little bit of a flash of pride if you love books but find that you never have time to read them you can use audible and get the audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read on the go their app is free and works on iphones ipad android and windows phone you can also download and listen on your kindle fire and over 500 mp3 players we love when audible sponsors the show because it's so easy to tell you everyone listening you love the book series that we're currently racing through song of ice and fire if you want to listen along to the series that we're talking about and following along with the chapters with us on the show 
you should check out A Song of Ice and Fire on Audible. We can give you no stronger of a recommendation. The sound quality is amazing and it's very easy to sort through. It saves your position and the chapters are easy to click through as well. It, it's a good match for our Feast with Dragons reading order. And from my personal experience, using Audible can turn walking the dog into the biggest adventure of the day. You can't make more time, but you can make the most of it. Turn your walk into something more with a free trial at Audible. So go to audible.com slash owns to start now. That's audible.com slash owns. Did you like this chapter? <laughs> Do I like Reek thinking about his fing- the skin of his fingers being peeled? At least he wasn't eating rats. No, I mean, I, I did. Only because I just think that... It's really well written. It's so atmospheric. It is so well written. And just, I feel like it's just so, you really, it's one of those chapters and, and you can't help but, like I said, when you're reading anything about Reek ever, you really feel it, you know? Yeah. And it, there you have this very like visceral reaction to kind of what he's going through. And so it sucks and it's awful. And like Ramsey's this, this horrible character, but you you can't help but kind of get some sort of like, pleasure and satisfaction out of reading these chapters because it's just such a good story you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's interesting to see him walk through the gore and just the corpses that are littering the front of moat kalen and not really take any effect on it because he's been through so much horror and seen so much grisly decay that he just notices it and when, when we have other characters see stuff like that it's a lot worse for much less but with reek it's just happenstance you almost have to like read it twice to really realize how how much all of the ironborn are really falling apart here because like to, to him to him it's just like He's happy to get out of the house, you know? Also happy to die when he's out of the house, if it does happen. So he's just extra confident today. No yeah. fear. <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing can go wrong for him. The fact that this is happening here, though, in Mokalen, a place that is so strategical for the advancement of troops on the early side of the war, which Theon, excuse me, Reek, is constantly hearkening back to in his mind because he was actually there with Rob and the John mm-hmm. and the rest of a lot of their men, at least the high command, during the early days of this new rebellion. But now, you know, it's being used strategically for the other side. And I think that is a really great lesson that George puts in, which is all of this storied whetstone, whether it was really split in half by the children with a huge hammer splitting Westeros for some reason, probably had something to do with Winter and the White Walkers. I'm not sure if it was actually real. But at this point, what is, you know what I mean? Like, I, I will believe that if if that's what happened. The, the, the children summon some big hammer from the sky, I don't know. I guess there are dragons. They get, yeah, I mean, you can't say no. And apparently they're supposed to be as big as 747s on season seven. So <laughs> that's the latest news, at least. That's the latest scoop. That's what we got to work with these yeah. days. So I don't know. It could be true. But this is all happening somewhere that has massive history to the realm before it was even united into seven kingdoms, but also personally, like I said to Theon, because he went through these moments with people that he betrayed in a place that they once controlled. And now he's there with people that he's kin to when he was there as a servant, sort of because of who he's kin to. So it's all just layers of of irony that George has perfect. Like this was this was exactly what Reek had to do. And it fit into the story story so deftly and i think it went really the only way that it could have you know when they went in there if you think about the reference when they were saying 
Victorian left us here and he left us with a command. And the last thing we heard from him is that he would be back with a thousand ships and he would have the driftwood crown. Think about how long ago that was mm-hmm. for these guys to be so far inland. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I mean, it's great that you bring up Victorian because I thought a lot about how interesting it was that that we've talked a lot about the King's Moot and kind of their democracy almost that they've got going on over there, but how Victorian leaving them essentially meant that they were going to lose the entire, you know, Victorian losing the King's Moot means that they essentially lose their hold there, you know, and they kind of like backwards progress onto what they had kind of accomplished beforehand. And I know that there's lots of other factors into it, but it's just interesting for me, like all of the different levels and layers as you're talking about that are happening in the specific moment of like you've been talking about where Theon has been and where the Ironborn have been and where the story has been and that somebody who is so integral into what the story is and where it is right now is off, you know, in the Iron Islands doing whatever is going on over there. You know, it just kind of like gives you a moment to step back and think of the scale of everything that's kind of happening um, that Reek happens to be traveling through crawling through on his knees basically this is what i love about a feast with dragons because the way that it it's been stacked it just kind of gives you that reminder three or four chapters off and it kind of keeps everything that's happening sort of at the top of your mind um i understand why george broke away from it with the with four and five obviously because he was thematically doing something different but um it's been a real treat to read it this way and for just to see theon go come face to face with another ironborn just as he walks in what did, what do you think happened there i mean the the history and the personal history aside there was apparently a bog devil shooting arrows at him when he was going in <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so was it a man you know was it like one of the cranning men was it people that lived there and they were you know putting up a natural offense defense against you know whichever Greyjoy they could take down or was it a bog devil <laughs> I mean weren't we just talking about how the children I get it building and dragons and all that kind of I stuff I just feel like, like to everyone who's listening those are the common <laughs> questions that you because there's a lot of stuff here literarily that we can look at and we do but that's probably a question you weren't sure of when you were reading it was what exactly <laughs> like, <laughs> happened there <laughs> unfortunately that's not a piece that I was really paying attention to okay but I mean you could theorize all you want I'll I was just... just curious I was like what is going on here get in he's like are you crazy it's like it's not what i expected you know and mm-hmm. it's not what what he was expecting either but he enters and the man that he's talking to you know at first is pretty threatening but the freak even mentions who he is and he still doesn't really react but when he mentions you know i want to know who's in charge just kind of putting on that authoritative tone that's when he started to submit and then reek saw that he had kind of his opening and that's when he kind of stepped up like a commander remember and he was like Mm -hmm. the cellar is a better place for them talking about the bodies give Mm -hmm. them to the water to the drowned god like that's so something that a great joy would say well he 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 does a great job of kind of getting that theon swagger back you know like he's able to to in his current state kind of step back into this overly confident guy that he was before um just because he can't fail ramsey and and all this stuff and so it's interesting to see him making those decisions and like having these conversations with this internal monologue of of um it's like i said of of theon as reek pretending to be theon 
So he was taken to the commander, or at least what was left. What was left of, of commander, him? Ralph Kinning. And Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With an F. Okay. The way it's supposed to be spelled. Sorry, mm-hmm. Ralphs. <laughs> <laughs> So he shows up. I mean, things are so bad in there that they're not even clearing any of the bodies away. Like, it's just everything with with uh, inside there is just, like, deteriorating Like, completely. life is better for the characters on The Walking Dead, and that show's not even good. Yeah, and I stopped watching that show because I got too stressed. So think um, about it. It's not even that bad, and there's a zombie apocalypse, but it's worse than Mo Kalen right now for the, yeah. for the Ironborn. It's pretty bad in there. Um, so this is what Reek sees when he... When he gets in, he said, it says, uh, Ralph was rotting too. Beneath the furs, he was naked and feverish, his pale, puffy flesh covered with weeping sores and scabs. His head was misshapen, one cheek grotesquely swollen, his neck so engorged with blood that it threatened to swallow his face. The arm on the same side was big as a log and crawling with white worms. No one had bathed him or shaved him for many days from the look of him. One eye wept pus and his beard was crusty with dried vomit. Why would they shave him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, like, yeah, like all the things that are wrong with him. Like, he looks pretty unshaven. Like, he yeah, has let's... a little bit of a beard. Um, it's gross. It's really, really bad. And, and Reek is just like... Reek pretending to be Theon, pretending to be Theon, whatever. It's like, tells, it's like, we need to put him down. Like, this needs to, like, he's obviously suffering and, and dying here. And so, um, so he takes the sword away and he passes it down that grotesquely swollen and gorged neck. And the worst YouTube video you've ever seen for that kind of stuff happened. Oh, I would, I would love to have watched it. Um, <laughs> but you watch those, but you won't watch a chiropractic yes. video. 10 billion percent. I will. Please weigh in people. I, I, I don't know about that. I would much rather watch like. Do you really watch those? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want to get into it. Save that for Squadcast. I think that's a great topic. <laughs> I don't want to get into it. <laughs> the arm on the same side was as big as a but, log and crawling, crawling with white worms. You're like, hmm, how mm. big is his arm? <laughs> Why don't they adapt this for the TV show? <laughs> like, hmm, <laughs> I would have loved to see the scene. Um, but like Reek does not hesitate at all. He's just like, gets it done, want it done. And then continues to think later that maybe um, our boy Ralph here got the better end of the stick. And and how how he maybe is the one who um, got out on top, which I mean, he's gone, so you could see why. Also, how perfect was it that his chief problem and getting the Ironborn in that mess hall dinner table area that he'd been before to be on his side? It's just perfect that they were called the Cods, yeah. just a fish that he doesn't really like. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. the Cods. Was to say something about how? I mean, the cods are basically like the bottom of the barrel ironborn. Chief cod bad guy who was like, wait, you're telling me what to do? I know that your offer sounds great and that we're we're walking in our own shit, but I, no one's going to tell me what to do. He's ironborn at the end of the day, you know? He had an axe put toward his head Yeah. at the end of the day by a man with one arm. I don't know if he's supposed to feel worse about that because the man only had one arm, but he didn't have much time to react. Thus, Reek had one. And thus is the tale of Moat Kalen and its majestic sacking by Reek. Yeah, good job. Son of none. Good job, Reek. So, I mean, he he has this moment when he's kind of victorious um, in in getting all of these Ironborn to kind of bend to his will and, and follow him back to Rams. And he thinks about how he almost felt a man again and how he kind of like 
And then he kind of talks about how he's grateful that he's got the fingers that he does have and, and how um, he's going to eat so much slop tonight. <laughs> he's going to like really get rewarded and tonight's going to rock and, and all this. And so they, uh, while he also kind of feels pride for being ironborn after seeing all of this, um, for, for them kind of holding on for as long as they did. Um, so he brings them all back to, to Ramsey Bolton and his reward for doing such a great stellar job is he gets a skin of wine and a place in the kennels with the dogs um, and some meat, which was the best meal he'd had since Winterfell. And the Ironborn were just as grateful. Was that one guy who um, was uh, trying to thank Ramsey really, really energetically? And he got it was one of the cods, actually. Ironically enough, of course, he <laughs> was one of the cods. Cods. classic cod. Classic. He tried to kiss Ramsey's ring, and Ramsey's dogs just handled it for him. Which can we talk about how cool that must have looked? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The dogs handled it. They even took off a chunk of his ear. It says, even as the blood streamed down his neck, the man bobbed about and praised his lordship's mercy. <laughs> oh man, it's just like it's awful. And then Reeks wakes up in the middle of the night and hears screaming yeah. of all of them being being killed with his new collar. <laughs> man, I just like. You just, you have a bad taste in your mouth reading all of this, you know? You're like, it's, I understand why they didn't adapt to this. Yeah, you know, as much as I would love to see Ralph's uh, end. Um, I mean, it's, it's bad enough what we got. It's more about just the nuance, you know, with, with, with Reek, because obviously when you read the series, he's, he's much more of a standout when it comes to where George is sending the story and, and, and the kind of imagery that he gets in this chapter and the feelings that he has about his homeland and knowing what the Greyjoys are up to. We understand the weight of this narrative arc. And so we're here for mm-hmm, it. And mm-hmm. we didn't see him for a while. So we're even really here for it. And he's giving us insight into the enemy, which we don't really have that for a lot of em- enemies. So we're, again, we're, we're really here for it. But I understand why they couldn't really do that with the show. But again, now that Theon's with Asha heading east, there's less weight on it because of everything else. Right. It, it's going to be okay. No, I think I think so. I think they did the best they could with what they had. Yeah. It's not um, about the torture. It's about it's about his thoughts and about yeah. his time in the, the dungeon and about you know, the fact that he looks old and graying and de- decaying. And, you know, this this guy's coming back to the camp with his not not his men, but for a moment, it kind of like it was his men. And I don't remember if we get the feeling from Reek after knowing that they all died, we probably do. And so it'll be interesting to, to feel that. But if not, I mean, I think he probably knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course he did. You know, and I, I, of course he did. And, and I think that again, like you're saying, the fact that Reek slash Theon is able to kind of do what he ends up doing, no matter how he gets there, I think that we all kind of understood the weight of, of what he's overcome. Um, to kind of get to where we see him in, in season six. But here at the end of the chapter, we get a moment um, where we meet and see this fake Arya with Jane Poole and this storyline, which very much diverged from what we saw um, on, on the television show is, is how Theon, Reek, whatever, <laughs> immediately <laughs> knows that it's not Arya. The real Arya Stark would have spat into his face. I love, he love, love. I mean, it's probably true. That was definitely an Arya shout out, though, on behalf of George. Oh, absolutely. You know what else? I, I liked kind of another little bit of Stark shout out that we get is that he thinks about how he and Rob used to make fun of Lord Bolton's voice, Lord Bolton's voice, and how he's like, I must have been crazy. 
<laughs> but now no he sees his eyes and he, he mentions that they share Ramsey's eyes. And it made me think about uh, the cod who was still just jubilantly bowing to Ramsey. There's something about the, the sheer coldness that these guys have. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt that they have a lot of men there to back them up. But the sheer coldness of these guys in the right situation can scare the piss out of anyone and oh. just get people to listen to them for no reason. Yeah. Which is, I think, what Cersei wants to be. Well, here's what you need to do, Cersei. Have your rondels uh, be in the shape of human heads with open mouths streaking in agony with a pink woolen cloak embroidered with drops of blood. That'll do it for you. That's not on the nose. This guy does not torture people. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) This guy. He gets his friends to do it for him. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. Ramsey was so mad about that bait and switch when he had the the fake ruse in the armor and he came out of the tent. Mm -hmm. Lady Walda, more Frey stuff. And of course... In this chapter, I think the most important thing to come out of it, which George always does this. We care so much about Reek and about all that's happening. But the most important thing is all of the forces uh, making their way north and heading to, you know, create a big standoff that we haven't seen in the books yet. Mm-hmm. It's going to be brutal. I can't wait to actually read it. The Winds of Winter is going to be. It needs to come a little bit sooner, you know? Yeah, you know? Yeah. I'm hoping for it to come out <laughs> soon. It's just, I mean, and, and you see kind of these small details uh, that we're kind of picking up. And as we go through this read through and kind of really, really pay attention to what's happening in Face for Crows and Dance with Dragons. And like, you know, I know that will us not be able to see that battle for the first time or read it for the first time is a little bit of a letdown. But I don't think that I think that we're going to forget that we had ever been in this storyline before. Same. You know, yeah. like, I think that we're immediately going to be able to just nothing that we will have seen in season six or what we will see in beyond in, in seven or eight is even going to matter um, once we finally see the way that George is going to piece this together for us. And before long in our reading order, we'll start to see winter snow falling come mm-hmm. into effect. So again, just little details leading us forward to the sixth book. I never really know how to own Reek chapters you know, I know that like it's easy to kind of put his story in as we're talking about context of how the, the story is eventually going to play out. But I mean, when we kind of get down to it and we have to think about what part of this chapter Just is Ramsey our owns favorite, like, yeah. it's kind of hard. I mean, that's so true. It's like what so much of, of, of Reek's own thoughts are just awful. So I really I really don't know what I'm going to give my own to. Ralph. I hate that his name is Ralph. Can that be my own? I think I'm going to give my own to the fact that he still has some pride left of being an Ironborn. I'm going to, that he, no matter what he's been through and like the awful torture that he's been put through and, and both physical and mental, he still kind of holds on to who he was and who he really is at his core. And I think that that's a vital for his survival and B just, just really cool. So own to, whatever we're going to call Reek slash Theon for still at least a little bit having his wits about him throughout all this. I am going to give my own to Jane Poole for walking into what's whatever's worse than the worst hornet's nest. Mm. I feel so bad for her. I I don't know exactly the circumstances that led her to this point, but handling it with grace, saying the right things. Now we can talk about Cersei, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a little bit lighter. So which Tommen moment gets your own? (laughs) Yeah, which Tommen moment? Well, I guess the two Tommen moments that it's going to be between is a kitten moment and the beats moment. But I think that my own is going to go to um, the bath scene when uh, Tommen is upset because Cersei says he can't um, learn from Sir Loris. And it says Tommen looked 
close to tears and he says, can I still have a kitten? <laughs> so own to own to Tom and for still just like for being a kid and kind of being stuck in the middle of everyone's games and for him getting the cats that he so desperately wanted. I'm split between two things. And one of them involves me reading another damn. So I won't. <laughs> just I go won't. for it. Just go for it. I'm just going to mention it. Marjorie's social routine, which is in this chapter, and it's a whole paragraph, and it sounds like quite a day because some of it she's hawking. We know how much she likes hawking. Come into my castle. You know, she's got a real good social schedule mm-hmm. as the queen would. But I'm going to give my own to either George or Osmond, question mark, for this line. His charms is fine. He's talking about Osney. His charms is fine. He's a kettle black, ain't he? Begging your pardon. Sir Osmond ran his fingers through his oily black hair. (laughs) (laughs) He's just flexing for Cersei. (laughs) Is that your own? Yeah. Him running his fingers through his hair. (laughs) He's posing. He's flexing for Cersei. What's wrong? (laughs) I think it's funny. That's perfect. I love it. Can I can I give a secondary own that I forgot I about so. as you're talking about Marjorie? There's a moment in this chapter when she and all of her little besties start chanting. Oh. And I just really related to that on a personal level. So <laughs> there's that. All right. Now that we've done our as we say every week, now that we've done our own owns, it's time to read everybody else's. We shall now head to the rookery and find what you have sent us from heathen king king of heathens he writes owns the bog devils which include the reed family who've beaten down the ironborn here who sent them to attack again question mark and own to the terror of imagination whatever the hell kyburn is doing to women down in the dungeons right candy Hashtag corner shivers next we have at king j wells who says first owned to ramsey for generously allowing reek to be his dog as his reward <laughs> hashtag what a great guy mm-hmm. and then second owned to the return of mc reek the best rapper in westeros hashtag my name is reek it rhymes with leak hashtag my name is reek it rhymes with with freak i i admit that <laughs> Reek has some bars, but he's going to need more, I think. <laughs> please. Will somebody please, 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 please let Connor Thrones just do like a Reek rapper act? I will just Just die. write us. You're, you're in. Putting it in out there, just into the universe. At Booty Brienne, Brienne writes into us, my Reek own goes to everyone who didn't throw themselves into traffic after reading this chapter. <laughs> hashtag Reek Reek. Hashtag it rhymes with bleak. And also Tom gets an own for his... For getting his priority straight and outlawing beats. Yes, there it is. Seriously, beats are really gross, right? Like, we can establish that. Do you like know. them? I like them. Okay, well. You never watched Doug? I mean, I did. I don't think that's. Yeah, I did. I still, it still didn't, it's important. Still didn't give it to me. All right, next own we have from at Unlaust on Twitter, uh, who says, Own to political puppeteers, telling it like it is since the days of Duncan Egg. Um, and then Reek owned to Reek himself for keeping Theon Greyjoy in his place when he thought for a moment he could be a prince among Ironborn. And we have an email from Strat who writes, love the pod guys, long time listener, first time owner. Welcome. My own goes to Tywin's secret smiles. Amazing to think he shares these smiles with Cersei while plotting to make her queen. Juxtapose that to Tyrion who thinks the prospect of Tywin smiling is quote, terrible to behold. Hashtag the day the smiles died for Tywin. You know, I'm sure it's out there. And if it is out there, somebody could point me in the direction of that. But just there's got to be some sort of like long essay study on Tyrion versus Cersei and their relationship with Tywin, even Jamie. So if anybody knows that that exists, I would love to read it because I can't write it myself. Or if you want to make a panel or if you want to make a panel, that's even better. That's really interesting. Good idea. Um, And then last for Twitter, we have Jenny at Jay Bernay, who says, 
uh, for Cersei, owned to Marjorie for being any, or for being everything Cersei is not, and for being the graceful, charming Thorn and Cersei's lion paw. Travis Cole That's writes good. on Facebook, my own for the Cersei chapter has to go to Jamie from all the times Cersei thought about him and every time it was something hilarious. My two favorites are when he gives the Greenstone when he gives Greenstone the name Green Shit and when he mentions <laughs> that it's surprising that Lady Felice didn't pass piss Hippocrates since he drank so much of it. Sorry I'm butchering your email. Also love how Jamie isn't afraid to stand up to Cersei like when he asks her if she is drunk or just merely stupid. I doubt anyone else could get away with that jab. Another great chapter with tons of information and foreshadowing, but Jamie steals the chapter, in my opinion. Yet again, blown away at how George R. R. Martin took someone I despised after chapter one of A Game of Thrones and made him one of my favorites. My own for the Reek chapter goes to Theon for trying to break through Reek's barricade of his memory, showing that he's not completely defeated when most people would be. That's great. Great own. And then our last own from Facebook is from Emily Filo, who says, Own to Marjorie for catching Cersei's slip up regarding Tommen's father. Pray tell us, your grace, what journeys did he win? <laughs> Hashtag savage. Real. And my own for Reek goes to Victarion for being so excited for the King's Moot, he forgot about his buddies at <laughs> Moat Kaelin. Hashtag, <laughs> dude, where's my ride? Hashtag sucks to be them. I kind of get it if he does, though. He's His mind is weird. He's got other stuff to worry about. And we have an email from a listener named Josh. He writes, okay, so I'm sure you get this often, but I'm traveling back in time to enjoy a Game of Thrones from Goo perspective. Um, Josh, first off, I want to say, will you share your technology with us? Please. That would be great. And also tell us um, how the White Walkers are indefinitely defeated. Please. Hopefully. I found you guys as season six of Game of Thrones was wrapping up. I listened to a few episodes and I really enjoyed your individual perspectives. So I rewatched season six of Game of Thrones and listened to each season six goo recap. I'm not sure who said it, but one of you, probably Eric, said that if you don't read the books, you're not a true fan. I decided to download all 300 plus episodes of goo and start from the beginning. I've watched seasons one through four with you, uh, parenthetical past you. I'm already getting confused and I'm up to Storm of Swords reading along with you again past you. More specifically, episode Vision Quest from February 18, 2015. I can't tell you how much fun I'm having reading the books and rewatching the show. I love the show. That's a given. But starting from March 27th of 2012 with you guys has changed everything. I'm basically addicted to Game of Thrones and goo. My wife and kids, this is my favorite part of the email. My wife and kids must think I'm crazy because I constantly have my headphones in or I'm reading a book. Same. But I can't slow down. I need to catch up to you guys ASAP so I can start sending in my owns before each episode. Anyway, just thought it was about time I reached out and thanked you for all that you do. I'd love a shout out. So future me, that's why I read this whole email. Josh <laughs> can enjoy listening to past you while I think I just blew my own mind. <laughs> Loyal fan, Josh. That's so sweet, Josh. We're excited to have you. Also, have fun when you get to me because I don't say anything for six months. Sorry to Josh's <laughs> wife and kids. We make a lot of episodes. Yeah, but we appreciate it. Why don't you get your wife and kids to listen? I don't know. You know, it should be a whole family <laughs> affair. Come on, Josh. <laughs> Future past Josh, whatever. Thank you for letting us know that it helped you get into the books because if, if there's any real takeaway from Game Phones, apart from us all meeting each other and having a good time, it's that if you do enjoy the show, even if you don't consider yourself um, someone who reads or someone who reads at least books that big, I know that I've heard so many times from friends that they're just so big it's just how do you read a book so long because mm -hmm. it's because it's good and if you like the tv show you're gonna have a good time with the books so thank you for 
telling us about that. And if you would like to send in your own owns or if you want to uh, be like Josh and send us really nice emails about time travel, uh, you can do that in a bunch of different ways. You can do that on Facebook, um, facebook.com, search for Game of Owns. You can find us on Twitter at Game of Owns um, or you can send us an email if you have lots to say at contact at gameofowns.com. We just posted a special episode of Squad of Ice and Fire, which is our extra bonus podcast on our Patreon feed at patreon.com slash goo. Patreon is a service that allows people who enjoy stuff to support stuff that they enjoy. And so we've, like we mentioned, added fun stuff onto our Patreon, which you'll be able to see right now if you just go to patreon.com. Slash you. Yeah, so if you haven't checked out our Patreon in a while or um, if you've been supporting us, whatever it might be, uh, we just have kind of gone through and revamped a lot of the stuff that we're doing on Patreon. So we've added a couple of different things at a couple of different levels. We mentioned earlier that we're going to start posting some of our show notes for um, people who are our Patreon supporters. So if you're interested in kind of getting an inside look into the notes that we prepare before each episode, um, we are also going to start offering t-shirts for our patreon supporters special edition exclusive gonna be so cool so if you want to head over to patreon.com slash goo you can find squad of ice and fire and some of the stuff that we've been doing for a while and then also some new content and you can kind of um, come help support us and, and be part of the show and if you're interested in following along with our new show rewatch the throne we're about to do Baylor. And Evan has not seen Baylor before. He knows what happens, but he he doesn't know how Yorin's there and how Ned shouts at Yorin Baylor. He doesn't know. He doesn't really know. So that's going to be really fun. You can go to rewatchthethrone.com to find out all the details about how you join us there on Howl and Stitcher. We've had a lot of fun making that show. And to be honest, it's made me a lot uh, more mindful for mm-hmm. things that are happening right now in A Feast with Dragons. So I'm glad that we're doing it. it. Yeah, the perspective on the things that are happening in the beginning, this sounds so stupid, but just like the perspective of the story that is being set up from yeah. season book episode one, that the repercussions are still following us through our reread now. Um, it's fun to kind of make that comparison between the back half of the story and the beginning. So definitely come come check it out and join us. Please. And if you want to follow along with our reread and kind of get caught up so you can send in your owns and, and participate in all that stuff, you can head over to afeastwithdragons.com and that's where we have all the chapters that we're going to be reading and, and the reading order that we've been working with um, so you can read with us. So next time we're going to be reading john 5 and Tyrion 4 no big deal just john and Tyrion in one episode <laughs> just john and Tyrion in one episode uh both from a dance of dragons so until then although i know that we're talking about we're excited to read john and Tyrion together but if we say that next episode is going to be us talking about the new trailer can we just like believe that a new trailer is going to come out Good so idea. let's just put that out there. So thank you for listening to Game of Bones. Next time we see you, there'll be a brand new trailer with all this wonderful new footage. And we just can't, can't wait. wait to watch it with you. <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait.